0: Welcome to Series 6, Episode 4 of York Hospital Ball. Our guest this week is Paul Stancliffe, a man with legendary status for three clubs, Rotherham, Sheffield United and, of course, York City. Paul has recently retired after an incredible 45 years in the professional game of football, playing and coaching. Here, he speaks exclusively about his footballing journey. Hospital Radio thanks Planning Prospects, our sponsors for this episode. They are town planning and development consultants and specialise in obtaining planning permissions for their clients across the country. If you have land or property where you want to get planning permission, then they may be able to help. For more information, then please visit their website, planningprospects.co.uk. Planningprospects.co.uk. If you have enjoyed this series and are able to donate to the charity, then we would be really grateful. To do this, please visit our donation page, justgiving.com slash yourhospitalradio. Justgiving.com yourhospitalradio. Or text 5YHB to the number 70450. I'll say that again, if you text 5YHB to the number 70450 to donate five pounds but for now please enjoy series six episode four paul stancliffe
1: absolute privilege Stan to speak to you to speak to someone who's had such a long career in football and I wonder if you could take us back to the start of that journey growing up in Sheffield and what first got you into football I
2: suppose my dad really started taking me actually to Sheffield Wednesday games my dad was at that time was a big Wednesday fan my early recollection really I was probably be about five going down to Hillsborough and watching Wednesday from then and then obviously just through school Sunday League football 12 years old I was playing for the school and manager of Sheffield Wednesday Danny Williams he'd spotted me playing for the school he invited me down to Wednesday and didn't last too long really Um got to 14 I think and I got released from Wednesday and then Rotherham took me on he signed schoolboy forms for Rotherham at 14 then obviously Apprentice at 16 and, and it kicked on from there
1: And yeah, I noticed you lived bit about 8 years old when England won the World Cup do you have any sort of recollection of that time and did that impact on you as a young child
2: I certainly remember it I'm, I'm not so sure it had, a, had an impact if I wanted to be a player or anything but we used to live close to Hillsborough obviously they had World Cup games on. We never went into any, but my dad used to take me down there and sort of the atmosphere and the fans and, and things like that. So I do remember it. Obviously the, the pleasure of watching England win and, and all that. That was a big occasion, yeah. You?
1: And you mentioned there your pro career started at Rotherham, and, and you made your debut not long after you turned 17 against Brighton on the opening day of the 1975-76 season. What, what I know it was a long time ago, but what are your memories of your debut? And I think it was a 3 0 defeat, wasn't it? Which maybe soured it, but what do you remember about the day?
2: First thing that springs to mind was the first goal because it was my fault at the time, you remember, you know, you should have defended it better. Went one down. Do remember going up for a, a set piece, getting an header in, hitting the post, rolling across the line and hitting the other post and coming out. Obviously, as you just said, we, you know, we, we got beat 3-0, but as you said, at 17, I, I'd actually made my first team appearance at 16. Uh, we before my 17th birthday, we had a cup game at Millmore for Rotherham against Barnsley, the Yorkshire cup game. I think we won five and I did actually score in that one. You know, making a debut at Uh, At 17, obviously a big occasion, big occasion for your parents who put so much into it, bring me up to get there, and then just going on from there. Really, I was lucky in a way that in them days, sort of the manager. Believed in the youth. We had a manager called Jim McGuigan at Robin. Great coach, good man. And he really believed in Robin. Funny enough, I talked to our three ex-colleagues last week. One, Richard Finney, and he remembers at one time, he was 18, Richard, and he was the fifth oldest player in the team. So, you know, there, there was a lot of youth in that team and a lot of ungrown players come through with Robin. So we, we'd grown up together, we knew each other. So obviously that helped. The, the big sort of impact was Jim the manager he trusted me and believed in me and it gave me a chance
1: Well that's certain you pretty much established at Rotherham right from the word go and you remain staying in the heart of that defence clocking up 285 appearances most of which were in the old Division 3 as it was back then but the 1980-81 season must have been pretty special for you because under Ian Porterfield you won the league but I was looking at the stats of that you were also unbeaten at home all season won 16, drew drew 6 and you only conceded 8 goals all season at home I mean what was it like to play in that side because I think Ronnie Moore said it was the best team he'd ever played and it must have been really special for you, particularly with that defensive record.
2: Yeah, as you said, the sort of goals against eight goals, two of them came in the first game, and I think two were also penalties. So we didn't uh, we didn't go far wrong for the rest of the season. It was a good team. Ian put together a really good team together that got Roddy scoring the goals. We got a lad on the wing, Tony Towner, the terrific little right winger, made a hell of a lot. John Seisman attacking midfielder, Rodney Fern, a well-established pro in his own right, been through uh, with Leicester, been to cup finals. Rod got quite a few goals as well that season. I played at the side of Jimmy Muller. Ian brought with him from Sheffield Wednesday and we, we struck up a really good partnership. Jimmy was sort of let me attack everything and, and Jimmy would just sweep around and picked all the pieces up. So it was a good team. It was an exciting team and a close-knit team. We all got on really well off the pitch as well, which I think is important. All the way through, we always you know, stuck together. It was one of those when even if you, we did actually have to go goal down we, we never got flustered we never got worried because we really believed that we would get back into it and, and win it It was
1: such a turnaround from the previous season wasn't it and I think you came sort of mid-table in the end but I think Ian Porterfield came in and you were looking at one stage like you were going to go down and had a good end to the season does that sort of momentum from ending one season going into the next is that, is that, did that help? Definitely
2: Ian sort of brought the three players there and I mentioned Ronnie, Tony and Johnny he, he brought them in towards the end and once we all got to know each other he, everything just sort of clicked into place the players that had already been there and those three it, it's, um, I wouldn't say it was the best team I've ever been involved with we'll come on to that later but certainly it, it was right up there and the
1: scenes as well on the last day I managed to find some YouTube footage of the last day against Plymouth where the fans were literally camped around the touchline work they? and I think you needed one point to secure promotion and you, you won 2-1 I mean it was it was incredible fans kept filling on the pitch and then you'd hear the tannoy telling them to get off because the referee had not finished it I mean that must have been an incredible game to play in with the atmosphere and it clearly captured the, the hearts and minds of the people of Rotherham.
2: Definitely, Dan. It wasn't just the point for promotion, it was a point for the champions as well. At the end of that game, we actually got the cup and, and, and the medal. It was already waiting for us. So promotion, was, I think, was already secure. We were just going out for that to make sure we were number one in the league. And once again, I might be wrong, but I think we went 1-0 down in that game, but we never got flustered there. We knew we'd, we'd come back and we knew, we knew we'd win it.
1: Quite interesting on the YouTube footage as well that Martin Tyler the commentator. I mean, he's obviously been going a long, long time he's still sort of sky's main guy now isn't it? Ian Portfield left that summer but Emlyn Hughes guided Rotherham to 7th still I think is the highest finish in the club's history still now you only missed out on promotion by 4 points and and again there's some incredible stats from that season you won 9 consecutive games at one point you beat Chelsea 6-0 at Millmore 4-1 at Stamford Bridge and and you didn't miss a single game the whole of that campaign I mean there must have been such confidence and momentum running through that side it
2: wasn't at the beginning of the season I seem to remember before that run of 9 wins on the belt I think we we were actually third bottom of the league I think we started off a way trip to Cardiff we won at Cardiff and, and that was it we went sort of like those nine games won all nine went from third bottom we went straight up to third top so once we got that momentum going again and in that belief and people talk about it now on the right you know you get that confidence you get that belief within a team and once again for that spell we just felt unbeatable we had a really good finish really tight at the end and then probably a little unlucky that we didn't get promotion
1: you are injured for most of the next season 1982 to 83 and Rotherham got relegated how frustrating was that for you to be on the sidelines and I presume that was the first sort of bad injury you must have had in your career
2: I'd had one at Rotherham where I had an ankle operation I missed about seven or eight months with that ankle this one was my knee we were all them and them players very kindly came and did me off the ball and seen by everybody I snapped my patella tendon so I missed as you said from September through to March and it's always frustrating when you're injured because you, everybody you always want to play but it's even Was more frustrating, as you say. See, the team's not quite there. It cost Emlyn his job in the end. He got the sack, and uh, manager George Kerr come in. But to be fair to George, we know we were at the wrong end and always struggling, and we couldn't quite pull it off at the end. We had to go to Leeds. I think win at Leeds last game of the season. We drew two. It wasn't enough.
1: You transferred to Sheffield United that summer to reunite with Ian Porterfield, and I know it was the same division as Rotherham. But was it the stature of the club, and you know the fact it was your home city, etc.? Was it too big for you to turn down? And and almost that Rotherham had come a a natural sort of end for you.
2: Yeah, the natural end. I'd been there Apprentice and Pro nine seasons, nine years. It was me that actually put in the transfer request because as I said, I just felt as though I'd gone as far as I could there. I'd missed the season apart from a few games through injury. I just felt as though I personally needed a change. It was me that asked for a transfer. I'd actually, before I signed for United, actually had talks with Barnsley. Norman Munter threw up Barnsley. But it came very close to signing there. Right at the last minute that uh, Ian came through and just asked if I could go through and have a chat but once I knew that United was interested I think I'd already made my mind up as I said club from a city, home city, so he, going back and working with Ian again, knew how he played, he knew how, what I got, so it, it all fitted in quite well at the beginning, yeah.
1: And they paid £100,000 for you, I believe, which probably doesn't sound a lot in today's market, but back in 1983, I imagine that was that's a fair amount of money, did, did you feel any added pressure from that, because you were obviously brought in to sort of shore up the
2: defence? No, not at all, you know, it, it, players don't have any say in that, so it's what Rotherham wanted, it's what United were willing to pay for it, so it, it just went through, but so no I didn't feel any pressure
1: at all I mean your first season at Bramwell Lane was a real successful one wasn't it winning promotion and Keith Edwards I noticed scored an incredible 41 times you beat Rotherham at Millmore as well with the last minute wonder strike from Bob Atkins and I noticed that you won the last game against Newport but but Hull played a few days later and could have actually snatched promotion if it had won by three clear goals at Burnley and they were 2-0 up after 70 minutes I mean how did you keep up with events that night and you know was it difficult listening to what was going on elsewhere
2: all the players well it's not all of the players because one of two went through to Burnley to watch the game. Most of us met in a pub actually in Sheffield and listened to it on radio Sheffield uh, which made it even worse because as you said when they were 2-0 up and looks as though they were going to uh, nick it at the end. It did get a little, little nervy. One or two beers were starting to flow a little bit quicker than they should have done perhaps.
1: Yeah because it's quite unbelievable that you, you didn't all just play on the last day like they do now. They obviously knew what they needed to do and, and very nearly did it. Billy McEwen, a man who was familiar to York City fans and a, a former Rotherham teammate of yours, he became the manager at Sheffield. United in 1986. So I wonder what was he like to play for? A because he was a bit fiery when he was at York City, and and, and B because you had been a former teammate of his.
2: It was fiery then. Obviously, it was his first job, in experience. In my opinion, I think he tried to change things a little bit too quickly instead of just doing it gradually. He, he just went in, as you said, a bit fiery, and it didn't quite work for him. He believed in the youth. He gave youth a try, but when things start to go wrong, really, you needed the experienced players, and Billy had got rid of most of those by then. As you said, yeah just went down a little bit and
1: yeah it didn't didn't work out for Billy and his replacement Harry Bassett couldn't quite prevent you from being relegated but you were a key man in his rebuild weren't you and you captained in the side to a double promotion almost champions as well I think you were locked on 85 points were leads and then you led out the team didn't you in the first game in the top flight against Liverpool I mean that must be up there one of your proudest moments
2: Well oh, definitely yeah without a doubt not being in the top flight for so long and I was the player that was able to take him out yeah always looked back that afternoon very fondly not so much on the on the result but certainly the occasion. Then again, you look back Liverpool, John Barnes was up there, Ian Rush getting the goals, Bearsley was in the team, Dudley was manager. So he lost the goalkeepers had to be carried off in the first half. In them days you didn't have a replacement keeper on the bench, so the full John Pemberton went in goal. So it was stacked against us, I suppose, once you lose your keeper, but the occasion was there and no one was going to take that away. I do always remember, if we were struggling in a game, Harry always used to shout out sometimes just for the team to go man-to-man. We, we just mark people and stay with your man and whatever happened and I, I always remember the, the other centre-half good player called Mark Morris we were losing 2 or 3 nil, and Harry's shouting on the pitch Stan, go man for man and Mark's turned around to me and he went okay, who do you want to pop Mark then Ian Rush or John Barnes is I'll let you pick first <laughs> I think I picked Ian Rush actually he got two but he'd already got them before that
1: I was going to just go back so it's a double promotion I mean, I was going to say your, your memories of that but there's, there's a brilliant documentary isn't there that followed you around that that time uh, and the season you got promoted and you got to the quarter final yeah. of the FA Cup as well and there were some really interesting points watching it you, you making spaghetti bolognese every Friday listening to a tape of Genesis Live was, was one of my personal favourites and then it sort of said that you used to take sleeping pills because yeah. you were so nervous before games which, which I thought was quite surprising the fact that probably at that point you'd, you'd have probably played about 500 games was that something that followed you through your career I'm
2: not so sure I took them from nerves I think it was just to make sure I got a good night's sleep on a Friday night but that was great that documentary and the film crew that that followed us around I mean they got to know everybody really good in the end they were really rooting for us as well to get promotion so you know that was good and as you said the quarterfinals of the cup losing to Manchester United 1-0 I think that was their biggest disappointment actually because the BBC had promised them three extra games if we'd have got through they'd have followed us all the way through to Wembley and and done an extra two or three programmes with us so that was their biggest disappointment but they were absolutely delighted that we got promotion and and sort of like finish their series off well as well
1: and I know you didn't play too many games in the top flight but how do you you look back on your time as a blade? because you had so much success as a team and and also personal accolades as well too you got player of the year in 1986 and again in 1988 you were captain fourth I think in the all time best players I saw like a poll that was done not too long ago and 275 appearances I mean it's an incredible effort at at, you know such, such a big club
2: yeah I say I think that obviously that was my proudest moment throughout my career playing for United massive club I know things aren't quite going the way now, but they're the team I always look back for. They're the team I always follow, obviously. Chris as well, being in charge. I've been playing the same team as Chris, so I know Chris really well. We mentioned earlier about Ronnie saying that Rotherham team was the best team he'd played for. That team under Harry, that we, we got those, certainly the, the last promotion up to the top flight, that was the best team I played. In. players that we had there, you know, Brian Dean up front, Tony Agana Simon Tracy and goal, that was the best team I had because we were a team. That's what Harry built. If there was no sort of superstars anywhere, Brian got the goals Tony got the goals and they got the accolades in, in the press and everything but everybody knew the role within the team and I just felt very honoured very privileged to have be, been part of that and very honoured and proud to be part of Sheffield United's history there's been a hell of a lot of good players being through that club and to have a little bit of my name somewhere along the line I do look back very fondly at the time at United And,
1: and you had a brief spell back at Rotherham didn't you under, under Billy McEwen again and I, and I found a quote that was quite a recent quote from you and Roberts I don't know if you remember him you to play up front for Norwich and Huddersfield and, and I, I don't know why I think he was talking about Rotherham and, and it was something to do with Norwich and he was sort of talking about his memories and he this was fairly recent and I just picked up a quote he, he mentioned about you and I'd, I'd read it to you so he says Paul was hard as nails and as Yorkshire as they come he was he was tough and took no prisoners but was fair and there was nothing dirty about his game however his partner in crime Nicky Law was an absolute animal
2: funny enough the, the last game in that spell was against Huddersfield at Rotherham before I went back to United from that loan spell that was against Huddersfield feel pretty kind of a I always felt I was, I was fair I always felt I, I was hard but I could never be dirty that wasn't part of me If I actually tried to be in one game I'll not mention the game or the player but I did actually used to go to school with this said player we went to the same school together and so we, we just started kicking lumps out of each other throughout the game and my game we just went totally out the window I was absolutely rubbish We got the biggest rollicking of my career so it, it just wasn't in me I couldn't concentrate for, if, if I wanted to play like that it, i just just couldn't do it I always felt I was fair but oh, that's the way I wanted to be
1: And was, was it quite difficult at times to sort of remain that calm because there's no doubt about it you know when I, when I do some of these podcasts and I, and I look back at footage of games in the 70s and the 80s there was definitely a lot more that went on wasn't there that kind of got unpunished and players are, are definitely more protected these days was it difficult when you, if you had a centre forward who was kicking lumps of, out of you off the
2: ball You used to give as much as you got but as I said other than that one game I never let, let it take over my game there'd be an elbow here an elbow there but if you gave one out you expected one back I'm not saying it was right and I think it's better now but you can't get away with it now with the, with the amount of cameras It's at game they get it all covered but it was just one of those things as I said if you gave one out you expected one back Some some out through again
1: and speaking of hard men people often say Billy Whitehurst is one of the hardest men who have ever, ever played football he was a former teammate of yours what, what was he like to play alongside?
2: it was good to play alongside he was a nightmare to play against <laughs> I remember playing at Hull if you didn't give him any excuse to come at you he was okay I remember being at home. Nothing had happened for about ten minutes. One of our defenders went up elbowed him and that was it. Billy lost his head then. I think he broke about three noses within the last ten minutes. Stitches everywhere. But it was all right, Billy. As I said, in the end, he sort of liked to play up to that reputation. But if you didn't give him an excuse to start lashing out, then he he was all right. Let's move it on to
1: York City now, Then, who you signed for in 1991 after a bell with Wolves. Were you still ambitious at this stage of your career? Or was this a chance for you to sort of enjoy your football in in your sort of twilight years and and get
2: back to Yorkshire? That's a good question. I don't know. I not really thought of that. I wasn't sure. Probably what was it then, 32 or something? I wasn't really sure, you know, I left Wolves, wasn't really sure if I was going to get another club because of my age. I do actually remember going to a a recruitment drive for South Yorkshire Police just in case nothing came off. So I wasn't particularly sure because of my age whether I I would get another club. John Bird rung me up, manager at the time, just to go through to Booth and Crescent and just have a chat. You know, there was nothing about signing and probably for him to get my feelings on things and me to have a look at him and and have a look around the club. Obviously that went quite well, the chat, the, the Following week, he run me up and ask me if I wanted to
1: sign, which I did. Very pleased I did. In the end, yeah. So, as supporters, I mean, you, you were made captain and made your debut at Rochdale, but you struggled with injuries. I think that first season, as, as York came fourth bottom, which almost staggers me because I, I started going the year after in 1992, when obviously we started having a, a lot of success. But the nucleus of that side was still already in place, wasn't it? Dean Carley was there, Andy Mack, John McCarthy, Nigel Pepper, T C, and even at the back, the likes of yourself and Ray Warburton, Steve Tuttle. I mean, w- were you quite confident that good time? we around the corner.
2: I don't know, to be honest. I don't want to say anything against John Bird, but I, I'm not sure at that time. i had gone in. Paul Atkin had, had just signed as well. Phil Crosby had just signed. So it was. I didn't really know anybody. Whereas I suppose when I'd been at Rotherham and Sheffield's, because I'd been there so long that towards the end, players were coming into me if you if you understand that, rather than me going into them. So I didn't know then. So I was. I probably didn't know. And as I said, nothing against John, but it was. So sort of problem in the following season or towards the end of that when, when John Ward got right, it, when you could sort of see the foundations and, and this is where John Bird comes into it So he'd set those foundations he got those players in but originally I, if I'm honest I probably couldn't see the success it was just around the corner. So what did John Ward
1: actually do then to sort of take you up to the next level and, and the second question to that is, is sort of where, where does he rank in terms of the managers that, that you played for?
2: I think it, it sort of set an identity into the team got settled to I got settled in there he had a settled team probably the big difference is when he was signing a Paul Barnes somebody can come in a regular goal scorer a goal scorer you could trust the foundations as I said John Bird had already put him into place but John Ward has sort of set them off, gave a team that identity that we had, we were a good attacking team, hard-working team, but also we didn't give much away either. And a lot of credit, really, for John Ward, certainly for his first club as well, his first manager role on his own. He'd work, I know he'd worked with Graham Taylor a lot, but yeah, it was right up there. Certainly as a young coach coming through, I enjoyed working with John, talking to him, still do when we meet up. we still have a lot to talk about, and obviously reminisce quite a bit on the things that we've uh, we went through. And I know when, when we had that success, and it was something that he, he had to go for his own security. And we went to Bristol, a bigger club than York, you know, there's no getting away from that. But I know it hurt him, and I know he it, it, it was absolutely delighted with the success we had when we went to Wembley. So I spoke to him just after that, and it meant so much to him that we, we could carry it through.
1: Yeah, it was a huge contract offer, wasn't it? That Bristol put on the table for him, which made it difficult yeah. for him to, to turn down. And like you say, we were just coming on to that, when, when he did leave and, and you were captain, did you feel like- like you had to rally the players because it was a crucial time in the season wasn't it and, and I think Barnett was the next game that, that was a fantastic 5-1 win but in the build up to that did you feel like a, a sense of responsibility at that stage of your career to get the players together and make sure that you were going to get over the line If I
2: did I'd, I'm not sure I did it out there, might have done it subconsciously but it was, it was that sort of team that we didn't need that when Alan Little took over he just sort of kept the ball rolling, didn't change anything because nothing really needed changing and he, it was a lot like Rotherham, we didn't just knew that we could go through, you know, if we went one down it didn't phase us we knew we could get back into a game we knew we had the players we just needed you know as I said with Paul we just needed that half a chance and it probably would have been a goal so you know as I said I didn't do it on purpose if I did there were certain games that you remember I do remember getting the lads together in the middle of the park and just put one or two ideas into them just to make sure we got through the game but no it was a good team a really good team
1: it was the best defence in the league as well I think 14 clean sheets and only 45 conceded again that must make you as a defender and a captain and a leader that must have made you quite proud to sort of have those statistics or, or is it something that doesn't really bother you about that sort of thing
2: oh no, no you're right things I do look back on even as a coach, sort of things that are vital there's no point in scoring five goals if you concede in six you start at the back as a player I was taught that from a very early age and you do start make sure you're secure at the back to, and it gives you those foundations to go on and hopefully win games and certainly not lose them Ian Porterfield used to say it's important to win it's more important not to lose obviously in them days it was only two points away but it's more important not to lose make sure you come out with out of the game with something, and if you're conceding goals, you're not getting them. So as a group, whoever was in there, you know, I was mainly playing in these games, but you know, you mentioned, you know, you got you got touch at the back, you got Ray Warburton, central defenders, all Akin central defenders, really good defenders, put their lives on the line to make make sure that you know goals weren't going in. Two good fullbacks in, in Wayne and, and Andy Mack, obviously a great goalkeeper in, in Dean, I and what he where he went on in the career he's had at the top flight. It was there; it just needed been bringing out probably. two my first year for it to
1: come out, and it all culminated in getting to Wembley for the playoff final, which I think was the first time you'd ever played there. Did it mean a bit more to you then at that stage of your career? Because I can imagine if you were a young player and you played at Wembley, maybe for Rotherham when you're 18, you might have thought, "Oh, well, this is a first of many." But maybe at 32, 33, or whatever you were at that stage, you'd been thinking, "You know, I don't know how many more chances I'll get to play at somewhere like Wembley Stadium." Spot
2: on. Absolutely right, Dan. You know I mean, it, it also went when I first started out the only way he, sorry, if you didn't play for England the only way you could play at Wembley was a cup final no playoffs then they'd only just started in the early 90s so yeah you know, you're right you get to my age 32-33 that was going to be one, probably my one and only attempt
1: and one of the iconic moments for me in the final was when Ashley Ward sort of went on a bit of a run for crew and saw it on the commentary recently I watched it back and it was saying that you know Ashley Ward he's got bags of pace and and you just kind of waited and waited and put in a, a perfectly timed tackle. and Was that just your experience there, knowing that, that he was probably going to be quicker than you, but you didn't want to dive in and, and let him go through on goal and you just timed it to perfection? You don't think
2: about it, to be honest. I suppose you, you're right in a way that you can't let him knock the ball past you and run because you're not going to catch him all. That's definite. A, a defender's instinct if you like, you know, knowing what the striker is going to do with the ball, where he's going to go, what he's going to do. I was fortunate that I probably knew more than the opposition. I could do that. I did have a good tackle, I could time it right. Fortunately He came off that day as well.
1: I had a really strong game but unfortunately you had to go off in extra time and again when I was watching it back you were absolutely shouting at, at, at Steve Tuttle as he came on can, can you remember what you were saying to him?
2: I do remember getting injured because I, I mean I know it was, it was sort of like getting close we were 1-0 up time was running out and I had this mad idea in my head that when I got the ball I was just going to run in the corner with it and as soon as the set off my calf went and that was it I had to come off and I just knocked it in I don't think that I got injured no I can't I mean I remember shouting it to when he gave that stupid penalty away but I can't remember what I said
1: when he came on yeah because it was pretty pretty aggressive whatever you said to him and it was obviously along the lines I'm sure of let's not let this slip but lifting the trophy and the, the open top bus parade around the city there's so many photos from that time and big beaming smile on your face it must have meant so much to you to captain a team to win at Wembley
2: it did I mean there things that nobody can take away from you yeah it accumulated in going to Wembley and winning at Wembley but it was another promotion fortunate in, in my career that was that wasn't a fifth promotion that's where you're going for success So, no, it was absolutely brilliant. It was was nothing more than we didn't deserve for the the effort. And not not just the players, the club as well. The chairman and then the board, the back manager. When John Ward left, they stuck with Alan, gave Alan his chance. So they didn't disrupt anything that way. Alan gave me my chance of coming through and doing a little bit of coaching with him. So it it was for everybody. Absolutely brilliant. Even the fans. I know a bit of a cliche that players say, you know, they they play the part, but it's true. You see the games at the moment that's on TV no fans there and it's brilliant that they're still playing but they're not the same the games to look at are they I find it very very difficult to watch them on TV without fans there fans do make a big difference to players and I think it's just proving that at the moment when things are going well as it did for us that year it was a great reward for them that uh, that wasn't that the first time York had been to Wembley as well so it was a great occasion for the city
1: absolutely the next season you were injured a fair bit early on and I think it was early December when you came back at which point York had gone eight games without a win but on your return uh, they beat Exeter 3-0 and you played every single game up until the end of the season and, and again got into the playoffs and two really tough close games with, with Stockport County you were obviously marking uh, Kevin Francis I think that night who was he was about 8 foot 7 wasn't he he was an absolute giant um, and, and I think as well when Beaumont scored the winner in, in sort of I think it was really late on wasn't it in the second leg that it was a sliding tackle that you'd gone into and it was, he was so close to kind of nicking, yeah, nicking it off his toe you know re- really close for York City getting into the equivalent at the championship, weren't
2: they? Yeah. A big carry, as you said, he was huge. I do remember going up, probably jumping as high as I've ever jumped in my career, trying to clear the ball and he, I just headed it against the back of his head and he hadn't jumped, you know, he hadn't moved. But no, two tough games, we just fell short at the end, probably a bit biased but I thought we were a bit unlucky and I, there was nothing between the teams really. It was just a they, had, they got that one chance right at the death I should have done the tackle out to touch there you go it was a decision I made at the time and cost us another trip to Wembley I think you've been a little bit harsh on yourself there with that I remember going into a sliding tackle uh, and I won the ball but I didn't keep it I lost it while I was on the ground and they got away and they scored so I do remember that that was my fault without a shadow you started
1: the first game of the 94-95 season but not again until November and, and five appearances there. and the final one was was actually at Rotherham at Millmore where it all started for you in in. Mm-hmm and this was in the FA Cup was yeah. that deliberate and, or, and even if it wasn't it was quite poignant wasn't it that you finished your career where you started it? We, were injuries just getting a little bit too much there and maybe five a time just sort of catching up with your body
2: actually it was mainly Alan's Alan Little's decision to be honest I'd sort of gone in helping Alan I was I was Alan's assistant the wanted to play, play Alan felt he just needed more help away from the field so we'd spoke about that and it was sort of like we decided that I'd probably wind down a little bit I don't know where we'd been but I remember it was, we were coming back on the bus from an away game. A couple of lads were injured. I think one, the other centre-half was suspended and Alan just looked at me and he said, you'll have to play on Tuesday or whenever the next game was. And that's how I actually played was half a dozen games or so. Finishing with it, it was a cup game at Rotherham. But it wasn't planned for me to be playing that season. I'd actually done no training before I'd gone into that game. although oh, the start of that sequence. It was more me now planning to be a coach rather than a player. And how, how
1: was that transition for you to becoming a coach? Was that always the plan? And, and did you ever I always wondered whether you ever had plans of going into management at some stage
2: just sort of fell into place to be honest dad I'd been in it since leaving school not done anything else I'd as I said earlier it's been to a, a recruitment thing for the police but I had no idea that if I'd stopped playing or if I got a free transfer and that was my career over what I was going to do so it just sort of fell into place I, I remember Alan when, he, when he, he called me in to talk about it it was something he, Alan had told me it was something that John Ward was going to do anyway if John had been still been there he'd have brought me onto that coaching side. so as I said it just sort of fell into place and, and I didn't really miss playing that much if I'm honest you know obviously he still wanted to play but I was still part of a football club I was still part of a a good football club at the time good people there I didn't miss it that much and it it sort of the transition was quite easy to be honest with the people there as well at the time uh, you know there was good people there staff behind the scenes and staff in front of the scenes as well so you know it it was quite easy at the beginning and
1: and did that ever change when York were playing the likes of Man United or Everton and were you ever thinking oh I wish I'd have maybe stayed playing a little bit longer I might have been part of his squad or no I don't think
2: that's all I think it sort of I'd had my time it was their time now. Yeah. you know the lads that had played those games that deserved to be playing I wasn't playing i have been fortunate that being part of those big games before early in my career so yeah, I never, looking back I can't think that I thought I wish I was playing instead of so and so it was just fun times obviously you know you're going out to Old Trafford and you're winning three at Old Trafford you just got to, like just take it whether you're on the pitch or not that was just a great night You were
1: still at York City around the time that Alan Little left and John Batchelor came came in and it was quite chaotic off the pitch wasn't it how, how difficult was that period in, in the club's history uh, you know because you were a key part inside the club and, and the management team
2: you look back in it answers itself really was traumatic thinking now it's probably it was probably the start of the downfall really when when things started happening like that you know Mr. Craig's wanting to sell the place Bachelor coming in that's not working Mr. McGill coming in and just sort of like it was a downward spiral from then on and uh, was sad really sad you know the, as I said you mentioned the <laughs> cat just now about the people that were there. There's a lot of good people that were leaving. There was a lot of disruption. People coming in you didn't really know. Yeah, I mean, different managers. Terry's coming in, Terry Dole and Neil Thompson. Over the period of time, there was a lot of managers that came in that uh, we'd not experienced before. And it, it obviously a big up, upheaval for the place.
1: And you did 10 years coaching at York City and a, a 15, I think, at Doncaster Rovers How has the sort of youth team system changed since you were in, in the system at Rotherham? What, what are the big differences between then and now
2: all it was when I first started you just you, there was no teams other than the under 18s I mean now it goes you, you start at sort of like under 9 all the way through to 16 got 3 or 4 nights a week you're coaching you're playing regular on Sunday you're being monitored all the time it's uh, it's a different world to what it was now
1: and we mentioned earlier about Russ Howard telling me a story about when you went over to Holland and I, I think that York City won a youth tournament didn't they in Holland on, on penalties and on the ferry on the way over yeah. he, he was saying that there was a few beers that were had by the players and then you, you sort of drilled in the morning, but do you want to tell me what you had
2: told me earlier? Yeah, well, if Russ was saying they didn't get to bed while four, the staff didn't get to bed while five, I remember just getting in, which I didn't know, but there was a big claxton in, in the cabin as we got there. I'd only just got into bed and this claxton went, sounded, and next minute on the microphones, coming through on the speakers, that breakfast was being served, and this was only at five o'clock. So that was a great trip, terrific trip. I bet Russell didn't tell you about where the players were going when they were asking the staff if they could go out and ring the parents. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that off tape
1: okay. which of the players have you coached that have gone on to have good careers that, you, that you're that you really proud of looking back that you made a, a big impact when you coached
2: them I'm not sure that big impact I mean obviously from the York days it was Jonathan Greeny, Manchester United still bump into Jonathan now still a good lad uh, Richard Creswell see Cresy now and then he's not changed one little bit that's the thing as well I mean it's great if you can have a little bit of input into the careers and, and they can get through and they can have a good long career but you just want to try making better people to be fair just hopefully that can grow up and they remember what who you are and, and they do and, and John and, and Richard have and hopefully you have a little bit more input into into them growing up and, and to become good adults as well that's a big part I won't name any names but I remember a lad I had at York he got a pro contract didn't last long got released and after about two or three years he's come back down into the club to see me just to thank me and I said what for and he just said of oh, all the boys in my class at school, this is, I'm the only one that's not gone to prison, you know, and things like that. That was great. I mean, I'm not saying I had a lot to do with it, but it You know, he looked on that as though yeah, Things like that mean more to you than careers. Just trying to make him have a little bit of importance to make him better adults when they go away from the club. Really good people, well-mannered people.
1: You've sort of decided to retire recently and you had a 20-year playing career, nearly 700 appearances, played in all four divisions, five promotions, 25 years in coaching. I mean, you must be so proud of the fact that you've had that longevity in a sport that that you clearly love and are passionate about. Definitely.
2: Whether it's fortunate or not, there's not many that's going to be in it nearly 50 years very proud of that start and if I've had a little bit of input somewhere down the line on on players even more so No, it's something that I can look back I can't say too later in life I haven't got that much long left I don't think but no Something for the family, something for my son, something for my grandchildren. that uh, They can take that over now and look back on it.
1: And I, and I know where retirement is pretty early and it's obviously hindered by the pandemic at the minute, but, but what what are your plans now that you've retired and, and what are you going to miss most about football and what are you not going to miss?
2: I'll not miss getting up and going out when it's cold and doing any sort of work outside when it's throwing it down with rain and windy and freezing. I will miss the, the lads. I think that's the biggest thing football anyway if, I think if you ask any player what they miss most it'd probably be the changing room the banter the camaraderie probably miss that I'm, I'm not at the minute but it's only been a few weeks other than that I really don't know sort of lockdown at the minute it's all about timing and I've never had too good timing to be honest so I don't know Dan just take each step as it comes mate but I honestly don't know I mean as I say grandkids keep me fit and healthy anyway so I run around looking after them at the minute
1: and, and just a final question that I always ask anyone who's had, had a, a real long career in football, who was the best player that you you've played with, and and who was the best player you've ever played against?
2: Best player I've ever played well the the hardest. Not hard. It sounds as though he's fighting. It wasn't. It was hard, but most difficult player I would say I, I marked or tried to mark was Mark Gibbs Man United. I just couldn't get close to him. The way he's green and and held the ball up and shielded the ball. It was one of those when you look back and think it was a joy to try and play against him. He, I thought he was absolutely brilliant on the day. Teammate, I could go on. Phil Thompson when he came to Sheffield United. I know Phil was getting to the well he was at the end of his career but he came in and he, he was a class above he was so cool and composed with his defending Kenny McNaught, another big tough centre off uh, that we got him from Villa you know I could go on and on with players that I played against I had so, admi- so much admiration for a lot of players that I played with uh, I would find it very very difficult to put my finger on one and say he was the best
1: and is that the same for, for management as well was there any manager in particular that, that or, me- or maybe you think got the best uh, out of you
2: Well, I'd have to say Harry probably got the best out of me. Jim McGuigan, uh, as I said, he gave him a chance, but Jim was... I always thought Jim was so far ahead of his time. You know, i were talking when I first started, middle 74, mid-70s. Looking back, he, he was doing things then or trying to bring things in then. A sort the of standard now. Fortunate with the managers. has been a couple that, and I'll not name them, but there's been a couple that I won't look back on and think, mm, he helped me because they probably didn't. But I've been very fortunate with managers that I can think most of them have been very good with me, and I've had a, a big contribution to my career.
1: Well, it's been an absolute honour and a privilege to uh, discuss your career, Stan, And you know, best wishes to you and your family in your retirement. And and I hope you've enjoyed this this uh, opportunity to to look back on your career.
2: It's been brilliant, Danny. Absolutely brilliant, mate. Enjoyed it. You got to enjoy talking about yourself, have not you? Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. I'll admit I don't know what the process is for uh, getting someone in the New Year's Honours list or whatever, but if Paul Stancliffe's not on a list in the future for services to football, then I think we might as well all give up. I mean, 45 years in the game, it was an absolute pleasure and a privilege to speak to him and I hope it was for the listeners as well. Thanks also to Planning Prospects for sponsoring the episode. They were the sponsors of series five and they're sponsoring a couple of episodes this series, which we really appreciate. So if you own land or property and you need to get planning permission, then uh, give them a shout and look at our website, planningprospects.co.uk. So next week, we've got Gary Ford. In fact, we've got it on Wednesday. We're gonna try to do a bit of a double bill this week, another legend of a club. So please check out that. It should be released on Wednesday morning, all things being good. And you know, thanks thanks for listening to this episode and thanks for the continued praise on on Twitter and Facebook and everything like that and the private messages. They are all uh, still very, very much appreciated.